0: Thank you for joining us from wherever you are. This is the SBS Replay podcast from the New York University School of Professional Studies Student Council. Each podcast episode features a guest speaker from our How I Got Here lunchtime series, where we listen to the stories of our professors, alumni, and members of the community about their career, their journey, and above all, about how they got here. We are back with a fantastic lineup for this summer, with amazing and inspiring stories that we cannot wait to share with you. This week, we're joined by Dr. Michael Woody Woodward. Coded as a work-life expert in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and entrepreneur, Michael, Dr. Woody Woodward, is an organizational psychologist and author of the Amazon top-selling book, The U-Plan. He is a CEC-certified executive coach and also serves on the Institute for Management Studies faculty, where he has trained managers from Bose, Verizon, and the NBA. Dr. Woody focuses on building leadership capacity and has worked with leaders from Bacardi, SAP, and the Miami Herald, among many others. Dr. Woody has also appeared on the Today Show, Live with Kelly, Fox and & Friends, and more. He is a clinical assistant professor in the Human Capital Management Program at NYU SBS. The original session was recorded on Zoom and was hosted by April Cardena.
1: Thank you everyone so, so much for being here. We have Mr. Professor Dr. Michael Woody Woodward, otherwise known as Woody. So Woody is a clinical assistant professor and program lead for the Master of Science in Executive Coaching and Organizational Consulting Program at NYU. Like I said, he's one of us, he's one of our own. Dr. Woody is the author of an Amazon top-selling book, The U Plan, and I'll definitely drop that link in the chat so you can take a look at that. He also writes for Thrive Global and Psychology Today. Dr. Woody is also a media contributor who has appeared on the Today Show, so make sure you find YouTube clips of him live with Kelly, Fox Business, and CNN, among many, many others. He has been quoted. As a work life expert in the Wall Street Journal, the Miami Herald, Forbes, and entrepreneur. Um, and that's only the beginning. That's only some of the things he's done. Dr. Woody focuses on developing leadership capacity and has worked with senior leaders from Bacardi, Sugar Foods Corporation, SAP, and the Miami Herald. Such an extensive resume. We're so proud to have him here. And so, as this series is called, how I got here. Dr. Woody, thank you so much for being here with us today, for giving us your time. So the first question I'm gonna to pose to you, right? We're gonna talk about your journey, but tell us, where where is here? What are you currently doing? Can you go in a little bit into depth about what you're doing now at NYU and your life, your hobbies? So go ahead, take it away, Dr. Woody.
2: Yeah, so April, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's certainly an honor to be here with you and, and to be batting cleanup here, I guess, kind of bringing the finale home. No pressure, right? No, no pressure at all there. Thanks for that. So as far as here, right now, as we sit, I'm a clinical assistant professor of executive coaching and organizational consulting here at NYU in the School of Professional Studies. We're housed within the Division of Programs in Business. And within that, we're part of a portfolio of programs called Human Capital Management, where Dr. Anna Tavis has uh, three programs our traditional human resource management degree, which is a master's, our human capital analytics and technology, which just started uh, about a year ago, year and a half. Um, and then ECOC, which is the program I lead, which we just kicked off back in September. So we are a brand new program. So, you know, it made sense. Why not launch in the middle of a pandemic? So we did that. And so far, we feel it's been quite a success. You can always ask our students. They're the better engaged than I am. I'm only kind of one side of it, but uh, it's certainly gone far better than I ever could have imagined. I've had incredible support from uh, Dean Martin-Yerig, who's just been a huge advocate. Uh, Dr. Anna Tavis, whose brainchild this was and spearheaded this and the one who brought me on board has also been an incredible mentor and advocate uh, of the program and advocate for our students. So uh, it's been a really exciting time.
1: Now, Dr. Woody, a lot of us who have no experience with executive coaching or organizational consulting, we want to ask, what is that? What does that entail in the real world? What does that look like implementing this master of science?
2: Yeah. And, and you hit, you asked the right question, because it's about implementing, right? What do you do with this? Because, you know SPS is an applied school i mean that is our mandate that is our our foundation is preparing people for the cutting edge workforce for what's going on out there now and where the, where the future is going and so we definitely feel that executive coaching and certainly organizational consulting and working in organizational effectiveness critically important today probably more so than ever before given the kind of tumultuous environment that we've experienced over the last whatever 16 or so months, it's been an incredible ride. So what is, I'll take it, and it's two pieces, two sort of parts of a greater whole that we're training people for. So executive coaching is really about partnering with either high potential individuals, those accelerating their careers, people in leadership roles, or really just those who are interested in developing and bettering themselves our focus is on the workplace so our coaching is about how do you partner with these individuals and help guide them through the process through that journey of development and typically it's either development towards specific goals or development in how they act and interact with others so as to enhance their own value and their own ability to contribute to the organization so That's a a primary function of of what uh, executive coaches do at a one-to-one level. So leader development takes on many forms. I've dealt with a lot of many forms and been trained a lot of forms of developing leaders, but executive coaching is very specific to working with the individual. And on the organizational consulting side, that's the more macro level. That's the team, division, unit and business level of understanding systems, processes, structures. How do we affect an impact culture? How do we help leaders and teams better come together, communicate, collaborate, work with each other, and create environments that are positive? Because for me, and we could go back and I could kind of talk through history here, but for me, my purpose has always been to help shape the human experience of work, and make it more positive, fulfilling, and fun. Because we spend most of our waking hours working and unfortunately now during COVID, we've amped that up even more. You know, We lost our commute time and traded that in and doubled down on spending that time working. So even though we're not spending all of our waking hours at a place of work for some of us, for some of us, yeah, we've brought work into our homes and we're spending even more time doing it. So I think it's, it's how do we get that healthy blend? And there are a lot of ways To tackle that. And for me, you know, my path towards tackling that was, is really is, is to be one of the predominant credible voices in the world of executive coaching, where we can help leaders better set the pace, role model, and create positive environments for people to grow and thrive in.
1: That's great. Yeah. There's so many, especially at SPS, there's so many different programs, such unique uniquely constructed programs, right, both in undergraduate and graduate uh, levels. So I think that answered the question for any of us. We're like, what, what is this? What does that entail? So that's the now, right? I know um, we spoke earlier, and you said you've really been in academia for uh, in in terms of teaching this program, specifically at NYU for a little bit over a year. For like Um, five minutes, yeah. Right. (laughs) So why, why teaching or, you know, we know that you've, you know, written books, you know, we know that you've been a media contributor or continue to be, you have served on several advisory boards, you've done it all. So tell us a little bit about why psychology, right? You ended up here at NYU, but why psychology? Is this something that you wanted to do, be a teacher? Was this a lifelong dream of yours? Or, you know, how, how did you come to to be here where you are with us today? So
2: yeah, it's a couple of things. First, I could just tell you about my interest in in psychology, I guess. First, and then I could show you. I've got a whole, I got a little fun map. I can, I can roll you through if, if you want. So, when I was in high school, I was dating a, you know, a young woman. who was my senior year, and you. you after getting to know her after a while one of the things that you know she revealed and, and we talked about was she had been sexually assaulted and so as an 18 year old boy <laughs> who didn't know anything about anything at that point i you know i was i struggled with how do i help her because right. she had a lot of trauma from from the experience of, as you would understand and was also in a very unhealthy family mm-hmm. that that had not I think handled it very well and had taken a lot of it out in her. And so fortunately I had supportive parents. I'm very fortunate that way. And so for me, what the only thing I knew to do, I guess something that I still continue to do is I'm like, I got to go ask somebody for help But when I can't figure it out, I go find help from someone. Yeah. So I went to the school psychologist at my school and I asked him, I said, I don't know what to do. I said, I, I, I want to help, but I know that I don't know how. And can you help me figure this out? And he did to some extent. I don't think a lot, you know. Amy, I was 18. I don't think I really was well equipped or mature, but we developed a healthy, you know, relationship. So, and then he helped with that. It was positive. And so, in my learning, it helped me think about wow. So, I, I think it's like there's something to psychology and, and there's something to listening and trying to understand and demonstrate that unconditional positive regard for someone else. That I just didn't totally understand, right? I mean, and so yeah, so I, uh, he encouraged me to pursue psychology. So I, I wanted my my uh, mother and father were adamant that I have to be far away from home. Uh, my dad went to school. He, we grew up in D.C. He went to Georgetown. He's like he, you know, was at home for college. He's like that's not the way to do it. You got to go away. So my compromise was I went to Miami because my grandfather lived there and I spent every summer going to see him and my uncle lived there. So it felt familiar and I hate cold weather. So yeah, I went I went to University of Miami. They had great psychology programs, very well-funded psychology programs and had a chance to work with a, a guy named Chuck Carver who he comes up in some of the literature that, that I have my students read sometimes. He passed away a couple of years ago, but got to work in his lab in, in social perception and social deception got to learn how to do that, which was kind of interesting and weird. I worked in the oh. child development lab. So, yeah, it was it was really cool. So I, I got to learn it. But kind of funny thing. So after that, and I, I was telling you this a little bit yesterday and I won't like ramble on about it. Right. But, you know, relationships matter. Right. And so I really I, I kind of thought when I was in graduate school, like I really love psychology but I don't think I'll be a very good therapist. I just don't think it's for me, <laughs> but I wanna do something else. And and Doc Carver, who I worked for at the, like this famous psychologist, I didn't understand like how big of a deal he was. I just knew he had a big office and an assistant. And I thought that seemed odd. And he had a Porsche. He drove a Porsche every day. I saw him, and I was like, well, this guy must do something right. And I remember, Talking to him about psychology, and he's like, "What do you, you know? I don't really think you should pursue being a therapist." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." And, and he's like, "There are other aspects of psychology, and maybe in business." I'm like, "All right." And so, uh, I took a class in HR with the head of HR for the university, and then I found I I, I was like, "Wow, there's psychology, and then there's this HR." I'm like, "I think I can create a field." This is how ignorant I was, right? Like, I'm going to make my own. I'm going to take these two things and put them together. And again, I go back to like, you know, like I don't take enough beatings from this guy. And I'm like, I want to, I think I can do this. He's like, so Woody, that's called industrial and organizational psychology it exists. It's been around like 75 years. So I there was someone teaching a class in it who wasn't even, he was an adjunct. He wasn't full-time. And so I took the class and I was like, I think I want to do this. But the problem was... Yeah, you know, I, I was still not serious enough, and I didn't, as evidenced by the fact that you know I had to ask all these questions instead of doing homework myself. Although internet was not what it is now, this is in the '90s, by the way. And uh, so I had applied because I wanted to stay in South Florida, TFIU, which was a top ten program, and I got summarily rejected. They're like, "No." So I thought, "Oh, okay, that's not good," and and so went crying to that psychologist that I knew from my high school. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I, I didn't take applying seriously. Cause I was also really afraid of, of the idea of a PhD program and how long it would take. It's a huge commitment. It seems scary. So you know, my, my dad was pushing me really huge. And so I, I kind of didn't, you know, I sort of self-sabotaged in a way, but he talked me into, well, there's a small, the program he went to for his master's degree at Springfield college. And he said, it's a rolling admission. He's like, I think you'd be a good fit there. AK, you know, you're not mature enough to do anything else. Why don't you just go there and see if you can figure it out? And so I did. Uh, it was a phenomenal program. And I, I learned a lot. So, But I don't want to keep rambling on about that. But but just the long story short is uh, I still, I really wanted to get out and work and apply experience. And I was still getting, being pushed hard by my father. It's like, you really need to go to a doctor. He was a, a veterinarian, so he'd done his grab work and all that. And so didn't, again, take it seriously enough. And so time two, I got rejected. And I thought, maybe this is a bad idea. So I think I'm just going to go, you know, all in on like the, the working and consulting. And so I applied to all the big consulting firms in DC. I actually got accepted by Booz Allen, but I hated the interviews. I thought it was toxic. I thought they were all a little weird and crazy. And I was like, no way. Their HR was like freaking out. Why are you turning this down? And I said, I got an offer from PwC. They're like, we'll counter it, we'll give you more. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, I, I'm never going back to that place. Like one of my <laughs> interviewees told me about her depression and how she hated work. I was like, this is bad. Another guy, he had his back turned to me the entire time he was interviewing me, typing. I was like, no, <laughs> like that's not for me. PwC right. was, sorry, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, it was right after the merger and uh, I got a great experience there. And, and had a phenomenal opportunities, great projects everywhere from, I spent a year touring non-federal jails and prisons with a letter from the attorney general to allow me to get in, some tense, tough negotiations. I kind of got into it with the warden of Leavenworth Penitentiary, which is really bad. Uh, <laughs> my boss didn't find that funny at all. Uh, and I got pulled out of there. Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, so it was some interesting experiences. I got to work with the restructuring of the ins which was immigration naturalization services and part of the development of a whole new legal unit for homeland security and so i had, like a whole thing from like them on the wall which is really wild so yeah it did really neat cool stuff and then ibm bought us out and i was a manager there and uh, then i said i was i really want to just go back to school so i applied a third time to fiu it's still like they're top tennis field, big name professors. I did my homework, I got in, and then uh, the rest is history. So I, I won a national award for them for a research paper. I got published while I was there and got academic honors. And and then the president of the university appointed me to, uh, to help launch a whole center for leadership, which I'm still involved with today. So I finally turned it around, but April, as I told you, I'm a late bloomer. So I guess that's the... <laughs>
1: Well, third time is a charm, right? For some yeah. fourth, fifth, sixth, keep going. You made so many, so many points. There's so many thoughts just brewing in my head. Um, one of the things that you pointed out was that you going into interviews, and I think a lot of us here are either graduating or in graduate programs, working part-time, full-time, even undergrads. One of the things that we or that I've at least had conversations with a lot of individuals is going into an interview or going into a workplace. Yeah. It's difficult to sort of remember your value and the value that you're bringing into a company, right? And I think a lot of us being that the competition in the workforce is so intense right now, especially with, with COVID and the job market not being as big in certain fields as others. One of the things that, my generation and I think every generation really struggles with is understanding that workplace culture, right? The value that you bring in is they're they're as important, right? Simultaneously, they're going to create an environment in which you either thrive or you don't. Do you have any insight on, you know, somebody who's in school or who's going out to the workforce and whether it's your first job or whether you're changing careers, how to approach that situation, how to go into an interview or a new job, understanding you know what it is that you should be looking for, not specifically, but just in terms of what are you looking for? Is workplace culture important? Is our, your fellow coworkers how they feel is important? What are we looking for when we go into any sort of work environment that we plan on staying for in the long run?
2: So look, human connection matters and in in multiple ways so first if you could connect with someone on a personal level it helps with your likability i hate to say this and people it pisses them off but likability matters and there's a ton of research on this that we favor people that we like more than others right so if you're go in and you're an arrogant old, they're gonna tell you goodbye you know or you're gonna it's gonna start poorly so like abilities matters, it's important. Also do your homework. That was my screw-ups, right? When I went and interviewed, we call him Dr. Vish, who was my professor, and I, I butcher his name, it's Chakalingam Vishwishvaran, somewhere like that. And I, I knew his research lines. I knew everything about like, what his emphasis was. He was a, f- a leading authority on meta-analysis. I talked about meta-analysis and how I was interested in it. He lit up, right? So I tapped into something that mattered to him and, and made the commitment that I will, I am there to do the work. I'm there, you know, I knew what they were looking for and I paid attention to it and, and made a human connection and told a little bit about my story, but I also understood their story and I listened. So I think part of making connection, and we talk about this in coaching all the time, is you have to listen and feel the other person. It's not just what you hear, it's what you notice, what you see, the energy you feel to make that connection. So really, really important. Yeah, And I can't overemphasize that enough.
1: Right. Something Something that you also, I know you joked about, and we spoke a little bit about this earlier, was you said you're a late bloomer. And I relate to that on on so many different levels, right? I think there's such an emphasis now in the go, 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 graduate, go on to grad school, go on to this, go on to, it's like, what's coming up? You know, you're planning ahead. You have your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. And that's great. You know, it's, it's in a way it's motivating so that you're looking ahead. You're looking forward, that you're, you're always looking to improve and move up. Now, you know, different. Things happen, right? Unexpected things, good things, bad things, life happens. And so there are a lot of us who have gone through our five-year plan and not really hit every everything we thought we would hit within those five years, and just have gone off track off the track that we thought we would be on. Now, I speak to this because SPS, such a beautifully diverse community in terms of age range, diverse backgrounds, experiences. We have people that have been in the workforce for 20, 30 years, and now are changing career paths, which I think is so brave and so phenomenal. But in speaking to that, it took you three tries to get in the grant program that you wanted to, and some people it'll take less, some people more, some people will completely change their idea of what is it they want to do or, or find their calling. So can you speak a little bit on what you thought process or what your state of mind was the first the second or the third time that you you know the first two times that you applied and got rejected or the you know the third time where you actually got in what was going through your mind what what thoughts were brewing just so we can sort of get into you know the mind of Dr. Woody and how he was going through those phases
2: yeah I mean it's a couple things because there's a few questions in there so I think I'll start with you know, the one that resonates, I think, first and foremost, with me is that it's important to, to I think, figure out to, to just generally what what your purpose is, what what your what fuels you, what excites you, and to have some kind of vision for the far out future as to what what you hope to become, like or, or what that ideal self looks like, what what that state looks like, what it feels like, but don't ever be and this is just me speaking, but I mean, but I don't ever think it should be too specific, right? Because you evolve over time, you learn things over time, you change over time, you experience trauma over time, right? And so I think it's more that 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 sort of grand idealized vision of who you want to be, but, you know, I never want it to be too specific. It's more of the spirit of what you want to be for yourself and for others, and then I, it, it's don't be too wed to one path to getting there, right? Because there is no one path, right? There are lots of zigs and zags you're going to take. There are things you're going to learn as you go that are going to make you say, this is not the right path. Maybe I need to adjust. Maybe I need to shift. Maybe I need to try another way. And maybe what I thought was was a goal, it, maybe it isn't really the right goal for me. So you have to adjust and, and shift as you go. And I, I'm a big believer always keep one eye on the present and one eye on the future, right? So know where you are now and know where you are now with respect to where you want to go, right? So they keep each other in check. Because if you're only looking at the future, you're you're, you're never going to get there because you're just going to be lost gazing and dreaming. But if you're only looking at what's currently right in front of you, where are you actually going, right? It's like looking down at your phone, you're going to walk into something. So you want to keep one eye on the present, one eye on the future. I think it really makes sense. But one a piece of advice I always give people is is don't ever follow someone else's autobiography because you're not them, and and you're not going to be them. You're, you're different than them. I think there are bits and pieces you could take from other people's journeys that are that are interesting and helpful, but don't make them your template. I think take pieces from multiple people's journeys, and then try to figure out what works best for you. But that takes learning yourself, knowing who you are, your own purpose. What excites you? What interests you? What are your values? How do you make decisions? What drives you? That's what's so important. But but with that said, I mean, if you want, I can share a little bit about my sort of ludicrous fumbling around until how I got to this point. Because it, it, you know, I'm still not sure it makes total sense to me. But so this is my life and logos. I love showing this it's always a fun reminder. I haven't looked at it in a while. So until I looked at it this morning, I was talking to you yesterday. So keeping that vision in mind, right. Which for me is, is always been a sense, since I was in college, right. Since I had to shift from, I'm not going to be a therapist. Cause that's really going to go badly for me and all the others that I would be treating, uh, and then making their lives go sideways. So I was like, all right, I had to reshift and think about it. And it was always, how do I, and, I watched my dad, you know, kill himself. Like he owned his own practice. He worked nonstop. Incredible work ethic, but probably too extreme, right? And and didn't have a, a lot of joy after a while in what he did. And so I worked in his hospital. He was a big believer in child labor, and he had me work on. We had a farm. I, uh, since wow. I was very little, so you know, I kind of got that. Okay, you know, you got to really bust your ass and and work. But I was like, but for what? <laughs> right? Like, wh- where where am I going with this? Like, what am I doing with this? So. For me, it was early on. I had that idea of, I want to shape the human experience of work and help shape it and make it positive, fulfilling, fun, but purposeful. So that's never changed for me since I was very young. How I go about it has changed a lot, right? Totally changed. Mm -hmm. And so when I had the opportunity And it was really, you know, again, it's making connections. So I became friends with one of my professors at FIU because he was actually, he got hired when I was sort of in the dissertation phase and we were about the same age because I was 30 when I went back to do my PhD. So I was non-traditional, like a lot of SPS students. And I was a huge pain in the ass of the professors because I thought I knew everything because I was a big consultant corporate. So that was difficult uh, learning. And now that karma has come back to me, which has been fun. So, but... (laughs) But so it, it was, it was an interesting experience, but I connected with them and I really, I put everything into it and worked hard and, and, you know, became a star there, student and got on the radar. So my friend, a professor, he was working with our, the president of the university and he's like, what, he's crazy. I can't deal with him anymore. Can you, can you help me with this project? Can you just step in? I'm like, yeah, I got this. Went in, he was a very, he was the president for 22 years there. MIT grad started analog devices and f- f- very well known big character but got to know him and, and became the buffer between him and my friend who was a professor and he basically appointed me to help launch this center for leadership so it was an amazing experience that connection and and to start working with leaders that got exciting for me because they have a responsibility for setting the tone creating culture and and really, creating experiences that other people live in. So that really got me interested. In how do I help work with leaders? And then I started doing work at the same time with Bacardi because I was in Miami. So they're, they're kind of a the known business in town down there, still family owned, as well as a large outsourcing firm. And I was working with executives at both firms and they kept asking me, Woody, so, you know, you're, you had a degree in psychology or three and So can you help us with like this person who's a problem or this person who's train wrecking or these people not getting along? So it was like mediations and corrective stuff and other things. It felt like therapy light. And I was like, okay, I I said, I'm not totally sure how to do this. I have a lot of great background, but I, I, I need more. So I put myself through a coaching program and who I'm still in touch with those guys today. So did that, got started, combining those skills with my skills and from my training in psychology and then the housing crisis hit it was 2007 2008 and everything went sideways and so i felt like you know what i I really care about the community i loved miami by the way i I was going to live there forever that was the plan never leaving south florida ever planted there i'm done zit it's awesome had a lot of friends there and And so to help out, I I had some connections with our back-to-work workforce centers that were uh, state and federally funded, but run by the counties. So I approached one of them and they about, hey, how can I help you guys out? And they said, look, we have a lot of people who we're not used to seeing, like professional career types that usually they're not working with at these career centers. So I put together some programs pro bono, just on my own, to help them out and it got some attention, both in Dade County, Miami, and Broward, which is um, Fort Lauderdale. And so that got some attention. And I was approached by someone who used to work for Tony Robbins, who had her own business now. And she said, hey, I think you should write a book about this. And I was like, I don't know how to write a book. I said, I'm done with writing. First of all, I said, no more writing when I finished my dissertation. Done. Right. So that out the window. So I spent, I took, scaled back my work for a year to 25%. It was enough income because I still live like a poor student mentality anyway. And spent, I wrote a book. I spent, I wrote it at Starbucks. I sat at a Starbucks in Mary Brickle Village in Miami and every day went there. Kind of created a plan for myself and powered through it, got it published, was so excited. I sat down, it was out there. And next thing you know, like crickets, it's like nothing. It's not moving. I'm monitoring on Amazon. I'm like, it's gonna go, right? Any minute, people are gonna buy it. They'd be so excited. Like a few months in, I was like, this is not good. And so I talked to one of my friends at Bacardi because I worked with their marketers, a guy who had become a friend. He headed Gray Goose. He was one of the known as one of the top spirits marketers in the world. Very simple advice. He's like, uh, hire publicists. <laughs> so he's like, don't be cheap. And I did. And I work with this firm. And one of the things that I, I've always rolled up my sleeves. Any any uh, partners I've worked with, or spenders I've hired, or whatever, I, I get in with them. I don't outsource anything. I don't believe in it. I think you got to be part of everything you do, especially if it's yourself and your own brand. Right. And so I did a lot of the writing, the pitches myself. I had them teach me how to do it, their template, and I co-wrote a lot of them with them. We debated, we argued, and everything else. And Finally, one day they, they got a call and they called me and they were freaking out. They're like, Woody, we've never booked anyone on live with Kelly. That was the transition time. If you remember, it was live with Regis and Kelly on her own. And then it was Michael and it Michael
1: was and Kelly. Yeah.
2: And so, yeah. So I was like, oh my God, this is kind of scary. So I had done a couple shows. I had done some local Miami TV. I'd done some web stuff, but nothing like, you know. I did, I had an assistant at the time and she looked up their numbers and I was like, don't show me that, that's not helpful. Like it's not helpful. <laughs> uh, and so I, I flew up to New York cause I lived in Miami. I staged my whole, uh, cause I learned from my lessons, right? Cause I was pretty good at fucking up early on and not, you know with the, the two misses at FIU and everything else. I, it, it sunk in, right? Preparation's important. I staged my whole hotel room, like the set. And I sat the way I was gonna sit and I practiced and I rehearsed. And then I the morning I got up, I was hugging the toilet. I was like, like dry heaving, I was oh, sick. No. <laughs> they sent a driver to get me, it was snowing. I was like, oh my God, it's snowing, it's terrible. It's like, Woody, we drive in the snow all the time, you're fine. It was like four blocks away. Got there, <laughs> got into the green room and Matt LeBlanc walks in. I was like, oh wow. wow. And I freaked out. I left the room because I can't talk to I'm like, I can't talk. I'm just in my head swirling. And then Garrett Headland shows up and he looked like he'd been drinking for three days. He was a disaster. So <laughs> this is about preparation. I was what's called the last throwaway spot because I'm in I'm the nobody fool, right? So they're like, if we have time, we'll we get to Woody at the end and we talk about his book. If not, you know, we bump him. So the opposite happened because Garrett Headland was so wasted they had to pull him and th- kicked him out oh and so God. they come back and they're like what well, do you have a double segment I'm like what does that mean they're like well can you like do like two and I was like no I'm, like, <laughs> I'm ready for one right right oh, I have it memorized I can't do anything more than what I memorized I've done it's it so I went out and then they wonder we they they rehearse you for these. Uh they don't not celebrities, but people like me, right? So I did a dry rehearsal with the producer, not with Kelly. And got the guy Gelman, he's the, the producer guy or whatever. He's like fighting with me. He wanted me to change everything, he didn't like it. I was like this, no, 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 you can't do this to me. And so I got, I was debating with him and the producer who brought me on was like my agent. She's like, what's wrong with you? So I, I won, but I got got it to him to let me to do it how I wanted to do it. Cause I was, now I'm so much more, it's, it's totally different, right? This is just way back then. But anyway, it went really well. It got a lot of attention not to go on and on about it but then I, I got a lot of other opportunities and another never moment when they said, I told you I was never leaving Miami. My publicist told me, he's like, What do you, you know, if you really want to make a hard go at this, New York or LA, pick one. But Miami's where people go to not get found because they're hiding from like the world and law. So come up here, pick it. And I, so I did. So I convinced my girlfriend, now my wife at the time, like, let's go to New York. After moving here, ended up doing a lot of regular shows here. Anyone who's local New Yorkers, I used to go on with Ernie and Astis um, all the time. He's truly as wonderful as he is on TV. He retired I don't know if you guys know last year, but right before the pandemic actually. And so ended up hiring a Hollywood agent. Another thing, little known fact, they were the people who discovered Judge Judy. I started writing a show about coaching. So I wrote probably 10 different, they call them treatment shows, treatments. We started shopping. I actually went to a pitch conference, pitched different like shows. So it was really cool. It was a different, because I thought this could be an amazing way to talk about my field and to talk about work is to do it on like TV, right? And do it on shows. And and so, yeah, so uh, those fell through completely, didn't go anywhere, but made a hard <laughs> go at it. And then after that, uh, but because of the Today Show, so I ended up doing Today Show also. And because of that experience, some executives from a company called Sugar Foods called me based here in Manhattan, wanted me to come in and work with them. That was eight years ago. I still work with them to this day in their executive team, EY, reached out and I became an advisor to their Entrepreneurial Winning Women program, which is what helped me get the idea of the power of a cohort model, which is how we designed our our graduate program. And then, and I'll wrap up because I I know it's a long story, but while I was working at EY, I met the founder of Scrub Daddy, a guy named Aaron Krauss And long story short, we actually put together a show and he is as crazy as he seems, because he's the great, the, the most successful Shark Tank story of all time. And we actually went to a pitch conferences and we did live pitching. We actually got a production deal. We developed a pilot with a production company and then it was kind of close to the pandemic and it, it, it fell apart. But. So yeah, then not long after that, I met Dr. Anna Tavis standing in line at a conference and we got to chatting and she said, hey, I have this idea we're, we're trying to get through it. it's a, a master's of coaching. Would you be interested in like helping us with that? And so yeah, here I am now, the prof- full-time professor leading the program and uh, hopefully I'm here to stay, but yeah, never know.
1: Wow, I, I mean, uh... Again, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to guess your age, but holy cow. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> And this goes back to what I was going to say before, right? What I was saying is we're all so caught up in, oh, I have to do this by the time I'm 30. I have to do this by the time I'm 25, I'm, I'm you know, I have to be married. I have to have kids. There's so, so many different paths, so many, so many experiences that we're all going to have. And we have to just be ready to say Yes. Or when they fall through, say, okay, what's what's next? But you're, that's incredible. You really, you are an embodiment of, you know, find what you love and find different ways, like you said before, just find different ways of, of, of doing what you love. And, I mean, that's incredible. Like I said to you yesterday, looking at your resume and how extensive and, and impressive it is, is one thing, but to hear how you got to these different roles and, and these different opportunities, I, I mean, wow incredible. Okay. So I'm, I mean, besides me saying, wow, 10 times, I'm going to open it up to the audience for questions. I know we have had some comments in the chat, but if, I don't know if you have any of your students here, but oh, yeah, uh, I do know some people oh, go ahead and wave. <laughs> so if anyone has questions or wants to make a comment or you could go ahead and either type it in the chat or you can use the reaction button in the chat function to raise your hand just so that we don't talk over each other and you can unmute yourself and pose your question or whatever it is that you'd like to say. Yes, he is amazing. Dr. Woody is absolutely incredible. Now, it just means I,
2: I just have just been lost in meandering and just keep bumping into strange opportunities and trying to to make lemons out of lemonade or a, maybe a <laughs> But uh. It's been fun.
1: That's, I mean, seriously, that's incredible. Again, like I said, so much of your story resonates with you know a lot of us, especially the do, doing something you think is going to pan out the first time around, and it doesn't really happen that way. But giving it a, another shot, we're saying, okay, what what else can I do in this field? So I think that's really, especially during this time, right during COVID, especially, I think a lot of us have hit a lot of roadblocks professionally, academically, and where we thought this is this is my plan, and this is what I'm going to do after graduation or next semester and things happened. Uh, So really sort of using Sue's word, being nimble and really trying to find what else can I do that's going to give me this opportunity to do what I love. So I think that's the biggest lesson we took away from you and your entire life has been that and that's incredible. Not many people have the willpower nor the perseverance to do what you've done.
2: So Um, I mean, the way I look at it is go, Go find the people who are doing what you want to do and immerse yourselves in their world and what they're doing, you know, go, go learn from the people who are doing it, but also take from places that seem strange and unconventional, like look for opportunities, don't let, oppor- don't, a challenge that people do, right, is they opportunities avail themselves and they think, oh, I need to do this. Well, put it in context of where you want to go. Because just because the opportunities in front of you doesn't mean it's for you, and just because it's lucrative doesn't mean it's for you, or, or high profile or whatever. So I've, tur- I've, don't even get at All the things I've said no to, um, or turned away from, throughout this whole whole process. Because trust me with the. Hollywood agent thing and all that stuff, they start tr- driving you in strange directions. And I was like, no, 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 no reality. Sh- I'm not, no. and so, but it, it, but they, they try, you know, because also they see you as a way to make money, right? So they're, they're commissioned. But I, I was very specific. I, I, in that I had, I had parameters that I wanted to operate in. So the only media, TV stuff I would do was going to be in service of my purpose and, and my vision and, and coaching and, and work life and making it better, not making a clown show out of it which is why we had such a hard time because they want, there's a sensationalization that they need, right? For commercialization and marketability. And so that's part of why I got Aaron, because I'm like, I'll let Aaron do that. And I could be like the more serious guy, which people seem to find funny, but like let him do like the crazy side of advice and stuff. And let me be the counterbalance of sanity. Um, kind of like Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla kind of dynamic, right? We got pretty far with it more than most. So, but you know, but that's how I view those things. And like NYU was a no brainer. I mean, it was when Anna asked me about it and I went through the whole process. They had me, they tried me out as an adjunct, which is sort of the model we use now, it went well, I had to go through, it was incredibly competitive. We have candidates from around the world. So again, I. I actually stayed in the city at a hotel room the day before and that night, just to prep and practice and rehearse for the job talk and the like 10 interviews I had, it was a crazy marathon day. Then I had interviews and Zoom afterwards. And, you know, and I was very fortunate that they, that, that the Dean and, and Anna put their faith in me to do this. And they believed that I was all in beyond hundred percent if that's possible. And it's been the most exciting and best decision I've ever made in my life. But this is a culmination of all the things that I've learned in my professional upbringing and growth, albeit I'll, I'll a, a very slow, slow one and, and circuitous one, I guess. But the NYU brand is phenomenal. The resources, uh, what we have here, and what all of you guys as students are going to leave with, is incredible. And keep keep connected to your networks. You know that's something I encourage our students to do, which they don't need my encouragement. But but in other programs, I, I see that that need. You're going to build bonds and connections and lean on each other. Those social connections are more important than ever they've ever been in our lives, make them meaningful and and be a learner. This is graduating. is just a step. You're not, you don't leave a, a finished product. Not, you're not ready. You're ready to start the next step. And that's how I looked at every step I took for me. PwC was another point in my education. That's what got me into the PhD program. It got me level set and level headed and serious. PhD program was another step. My coaching program was another step. Bacardi and all those were other steps. Media was another step. I learned so much about a field that I didn't understand when I went to. I was terrified. And I've probably at this point, I've done over 300 on camera appearances and I no longer throw up before going on. Just make that clear.
1: When you you kept saying reality TV and I kept picturing you in some sort of reality TV show and I was like I really I wonder what that would look like um maybe I guess we'll never find out but you know maybe in the future
2: <laughs> yeah there not watch it i had a lot of debates about different uh, you, you know what i was willing to how do. far you
1: go where the line was and that was it yeah <laughs> well um uh, dr woody you have given us quite literally some of the most invaluable mm-hmm. advice priceless i know some some students here are in your program but those of us that aren't i mean you what a what a brilliant way to wrap up our how i got here series with somebody who's literally done it all but you know encompass the the love of what they do through so many different mediums and so many different ways. And I think that just speaks volumes about NYU and as professors in the community that we have here. I mean, you've definitely inspired me. I know a lot of us have always thought, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? There's so many things we want to do, but you really have shown us that there is a way in our our lives to do it all. April,
2: I, I just read this in the chat box. I totally forgot about the first appearance I ever did was on Tabitha's salon takeover.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Uh, And that was, oh my God, that was a total (laughs) show. And it was fun. They edited it, by the way, in a way that, so this was what my comeuppance quickly, right? They made it look like I made someone cry and run off set, which was totally not true. And I had a really powerful like session that was actually really like they were hurting and in a lot of pain and, and stuff because Tabitha was was brutal
1: yeah. and, she,
2: and she was kind of an idiot too. But so, I mean, like where I, I really got that, I, I wanted to do a pre-session just to get the gauge on them. And as I was talking and they started talking, the cameras all started coming up. Like they started firing everything up. I was like, oh no, they're going to stop talking. And then it was a really wonderful session but they cut it up and they made it look like um, they made me look brutal. Like, I mean, it didn't make me look bad. They made me look far more, I think, aggressive than mm-hmm. I am, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was, but Samantha, thank you for that. I totally forgot about of the Salon takeover.
1: Oh, that's funny. See, all this is why, You're welcome. why we like students here.
2: <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. That's
1: funny. <laughs> well, if we do find it, we'll make sure to send it out to everyone that was here today. <laughs> so you can take a look at the other side of Dr. Woody. Um, and with that, I think we're going to go ahead and say our farewells, give our thank yous. Um, Dr. Woody, your life story is beyond inspiring. Seriously. I mean, I it's a little intimidating because I don't know how I'm going to do all of that, but it's something to look up to. And you seriously, everything that you've all the information, all the advice, all of the insights that you've given us today are going to stay with us throughout the year. So thank you so much. I hope we see each other in person when you know when it's safe again. Thank you everyone, everyone for coming. Round of applause to everyone. Um, and again, just stay safe, stay well throughout everything that's going on. Dr. Woody, thank you, thank you, thank you. And see you all soon. Hi,
2: right, thank you so much.
0: Thank you to Dr. Woody. Join us next week to hear from David Cooper, owner of MVP Public Relations, and an instructor at the Tisch Institute for Global Sports at NYU SBS, who has received multiple Teaching Excellence Awards. The SBS Replay podcast is produced by the students of the NYU SBS Student Council with
1: Allie Weaver. April Cardena. Ariana Olivas.
0: Catalina Mejia.
1: Christine Long. Evelyn Tai,
2: Jay Ramani
1: Jessica Blodgett. Jesse Kim.
0: Justin Choi.
1: Maya Kwok.
0: Sam Fox. Sanjana Benmutsa. Ting Wing. Special thanks to the NYU SBS Office of Student Life Follow us on social media at SBSUSC and at SBSGSC on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates. Thank you for listening and for supporting us. Stay safe, take care, and have a wonderful summer.